they are the fabulous learning nerds. Cause if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Scott Schutte, your host, and with me, well, you know who's with me. Dan the Man. Oh yeah. Dan. What's up, Scott? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? Oh, I think I am definitely fair to Midland fair this week. to Midland. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I totally get it. This week, oh, okay, so I have to, can I tell a quick story? This has absolutely nothing yeah, to do with absolutely. learning. So if you guys want to fast forward like 30 quick. seconds, that'd be great. Do you like Indian food? I love Indian food. Okay, so I love me some Indian food. My wife has never had Indian food and we're scared of it. What? Yeah, I know, right? Scared of it. Like, I don't like spicy foods. It's going to be totally spicy. I'm going to be like the the tube of terror. I don't know if you've ever heard of the tube of terror. Please don't try it. At any rate, um... I talked her into going and we had a wonderful time. We both had tiki masala, right? And so that was fantastic. The place was really good, nice and quiet and, and quaint, very romantic. And, and uh, yeah, so it was really very great. So we're going to come back. The, um, the downside of that is that I smell like curry today. So I'm a big curry bomb today, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's not bad. You know it's how it bad. goes? It's like, oh, this is so great. And the next like, I smell like curry, which is great. I'm like, I, I can't say anything. Like, I love Indian food, obviously, but I also love garlic. And I can't tell you how many times I've just been like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat I'm gonna eat an unhealthy amount of garlic hummus. What's the worst that could happen? And then, of course, later on that evening, my wife's like, do you smell? I think I smell garlic. I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's me. That's definitely me. Garlic <laughs> is healthy for you. There are worse things to smell yeah. like than garlic. And, that's true. Um, yeah. That's true. I, uh, yeah, for sure. At any rate, um, thank you. I'm glad that you uh, put up with my uh, Indian food story, and I hope we're going to have a fantastic show. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> Almost as excited as I am uh, to welcome back our uh, co-host uh, this week. You've missed her. Abby Dawson, everybody. Abby. Hey there. Abby's back. We so missed you. I mean, oh my gosh. Oh, Dan and I are like, what are we going to do? Abby's not here. Oh my gosh. So those, <laughs> those people who limp through our episodes, the Dabby, Abby-less episodes, um, we want to thank you. We're so you. glad that you're back. <laughs> so glad we're back. I missed you guys. I know. We missed you and too. Yeah. I also had Indian yesterday. Oh, <laughs> what did you have? What did you have? I had like everything. We went to an Indian buffet and it was really good. And my son loves it. My five-year-old was like, this is delicious. And I was like, I know, buddy. I know. Did you have those little donut holes that they soak in sugar? That can't be good for you. What are those yes. called? And they were warm. Oh, I don't God. know. But he ate two bowls of them. No. Like it was. <laughs> he did. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, he was a happy kid. Welcome to 
Welcome to the Fabulous Indian Food Nerds podcast. <laughs> um, Abby, I'm, I'm so glad you're back. And it's great to hear you uh, laugh again. That's so fantastic. And I'm so excited. Super excited also for our uh, special guest this week. And we're going to learn all about her in, in this part of the show. What's your deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Susan! Scott! What's your deal, my friend? <laughs> I don't know if I want to make my deal this morning. I, I could make it anything. I love this. Well, what, why don't we start with the Indian food? Because it seems to be the topic of the day, right? <laughs> I was thinking about that, but I can't join the crowd because I had some vegan dish in Canada yesterday. Vegan's great. Yeah, that's that's just so vegan. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, how you got to uh, where you're at? How's that? I got to fabulous learning nerds. Mm -hmm. So I'm a consultant and a coach. Um, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I think Dan may have done that too and survived. Yes, um, I did. <laughs> made my way to New York City and actually became known for matching celebrities with brands. Go figure. Um, kind of happened by accident, but. Um, and my first deal was to knock on the door of the factory and convince Andy Warhol to do an endorsement for Pontiac before it was chic. Um, and then I, it actually led me out to L.A. And now, believe it or not, I'm recovering in Montana. Re recovering from L.A. in Montana. Is that what you're saying, <laughs> trying to say and without saying it? Re recovering actually from New York in L.A. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay, then we're gonna have to hear more about that journey. That's fantastic. Really quick question. So um, how receptive was Mr. Warhol? I want to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, it was my first deal in my first company. I had been working for an agent. I started at ICM, which is a large global talent agency. And the agent I worked with left to form his own agency. He had a little addiction. And he used to have me leave in the middle of the afternoon to take care of that and say, let me know when I could come back. Um, and I used to train Barbara Walters on the side to make a little extra money at the time. And she was a hero of mine growing up. I can't believe it. I used to knock on her door and exercise her for an hour in the mornings. But um, my boss tried the same thing on me. He was trying on these young actresses and, I went to Barbara's the next morning, totally upset. And she said, took one look at me and was like, what's going on? And usually I don't tell people anything. And I told her the story and she said, I'm coming to work with you this morning and we're confronting this guy. And I said, Barbara, you know, I got it. It's going to be okay. So I did go to work. I confronted him immediately. He asked me to leave, which I did. Barbara said, you can go work for my fiance at Lorimar. This is his assistant. And I'm like, Barbara, I can't. I can't do it. I was just so beaten serving. And um, so I decided to take a huge risk and formed my own brokerage firm before I was sheet matching celebrities with brands. And Donnie Deutsch, she was working for his dad at his dad as an ad agency at the time. Donnie Deutsch was working for his father's ad agency at the time. Um, met up with me and said, hey, can you get me Andy Warhol to endorse Tri-State Pontiac? And I'm like, let me try that. So I called and nobody picked up. So I took the subway down and I knocked on the door of the factory and I'm sweating bullets. And I was like, what am I doing here? It's like this three-story brownstone and these rows of brownstones. And 
Fred answered the door and he said, you know, he heard me out and he said, come back tomorrow. I'll let you talk to Andy. So I said, okay. So I did knock on the door the next day, same time. Fred answers. He's like, wait here. And I'm waiting in this Annie room, like wondering, like, is this really going to happen? And then Fred pops out between these double doors and said, Andy would like to see you now. And I get ushered in and it's like this darkened studio, but this pin spotlight coming down on the spiky hair going seven different directions. And he's penciling with all these colored pencils. And there's three pugs running around the studio, like just crazy. So I'm laughing, you know, why I'm there. And he's not paying a bit of attention to me, but all the attention is going to the dogs. And then finally, he stops penciling. He looks up and he goes, now really, why should I do this? And I just thought for a minute thinking, and I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. And he goes, okay, I'll do it. And that (laughs) was it. (laughs) Scott, who knew you had so much in common with Andy Warhol? Because that would have sold you too. (laughs) Well, it would have sold my wife for sure. Yeah, I think um, 100% that is, uh, you know, this is what we'd be hearing in the studio. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can have the pugs in the shot with you. Oh my god, that's yeah. great. I love that. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, uh, thank you so much. This is going to be a fantastic show, everybody. I'm really excited. Not only because we're going to talk about something that's important to what we do and in in our, in our world, but also um, I think we're going to get some gems uh, from Susan. So, with that, let's go ahead and transfer into our topic of the week, shall we? Okay, this week we're talking managing risks or simply taking risks, which I think is really an important thing uh, to be thinking about, um, especially in a, in a world today where there's so much uncertainty. Like risk is kind of a, ooh, I don't know if I really want to do that anymore. So um, I think it's important uh, to be chatting about that. So, um, yeah, let's... Uh, Talk about risk. I mean, you started your own brokerage firm, firm, but you know, how are you thinking about risk nowadays, and why is it so important? Well, honestly, um, I couldn't take the energy of city life anymore. It's just too traumatic on the central nervous system. So, I moved to Montana, and I'm still consulting with brands. I shifted a bit. I went into television as a producer, just for my skill set with attaching celebrities to brands. So, did that for a while until reality television got too painful to even consider. And so so, um, I shifted taking my skill set to do media outreach and biz dev for brands. And I've really appreciated it. I still do it. Um, But I really feel more need to come from my heart and soul. And I have garnered a lot of experience um, and had to, had to step up to a lot of personal difficulty um as an adult and so i'm sharing that now um through my consulting with brands and I'm, I'm taking challenges and, sh- and helping people shift them see them from a new viewpoint um and i'm doing it with individuals too so it's another new risk people that know me say you're always reinventing yourself and i think i am because i mean yeah i'm here for one shot i might as well make the best of it I love that idea of reinventing yourself. Um, I think 
the generation I'm in, which I'm not going to disclose, but I think people have a pretty good idea where I land. But, uh, you know, my parents were in a generation where like the job you had was the job you've had, you'd have your whole life. And um, you just had to kind of like be that person forever. And then um, that reality shifted and people now have many jobs over their careers. They do have many careers uh, that are disparate. And um, that idea of reinventing yourself, um, I don't think it has really strengthened itself in the corporate world. Like people don't really see themselves as something that can be reinvented. Um, they don't see themselves, they have, they think of themselves as having like a skill set, a set resume, and like, this is what I bring to the table. Um, and it's scary to go into something and going, I'm flexible, I'm ready to change. Like, how, Talk us through kind of like what your thoughts are on that process of being like open to a really scary idea of being someone different in 10 years. Well, Abby, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because, I mean, people in my family think I'm completely odd. My sister had a, a corporate career the whole way out and she cannot even understand how I can do what I do, not knowing what's going to be happening, you know, like the next week away. But I couldn't understand in the corporate system. I, I did one stint at ICM and another at Fox. And I just couldn't figure it out. Like, why do you have to go to HR to speak to that guy down the, down the corner from you? Like, I don't, I don't get it. The systems didn't fit. Why can't you leave if you're done with your work at 410? Who cares? Really? I got to pose till 630. It just didn't make any sense to me. So, so that was a plus going into it that I just didn't have that in the fabric of my being. Um, and I have had to take a lot of risk and jump a lot of fear and just have a lot of trust that I was going to be able to put the pieces together that I needed. Um, and there were a lot of scare times where I just didn't know where the next deal was coming in from. And I, in my family was, was the breadwinner. Um, but just when you, when you start to do it and you see, okay, I've been in this spot before. I had a deal go south. I had another client like one out of loop and something totally amazing fell in through the front door that I didn't even imagine happening. So once you start to pile those up, you, you garner that trust and belief in yourself that, yeah, you're going to make it happen. And then that opens up that expansiveness so you can reinvent yourself. You can go in and listen to that still small voice. Not the one that's saying, okay, sit in your chair and don't get out of the box. Don't say anything. Don't speak up because they're going to think you're nuts. You know, I don't really have that. I'm the one that comes in and like speaks up and people resonate, but they're terrified to really get out of that box and do that because they're going to lose their stuff. They're going to lose what they know. So I don't know, maybe it's just, just something in my personality. Um, maybe it's a personality type, but I think it's becoming more and more necessary because I think we're sort of backed up against the wall and we're not able to do it anymore. And I think the whole COVID thing, like in a way, the blessing was that people got to expand and work from home and see things from a different perspective. And we got more productive as a society, because we weren't chained into the cubicle. We weren't chained into that system. 
like it's a broken system in my point of view. It's a nasty matrix. And I don't want to get too Southern California hoo-hoo on you, but I think, you know, we're waking up. No, waking up's really, really important, and um, I, I think you're totally right about that. And and the uh, blessings of working from home, not just from a productivity standpoint, but from a work life balance. At least it's something that we are thinking about. I think before COVID, we didn't even think about it. Like I, either I have a nine to five job and I show up at nine and I get done at five, and that's my lot, and I have to beg for permission to maybe take an hour off to go to the dentist or whatever. I mean, those days are pretty much done. Right. So I think that's fantastic. One of the things that you've mentioned is this idea of um, intuition and risk taking. Would you talk a little bit about that? Well, I've been intuitive since I'm a little kid. Um, I've also been very telepathic. Um, And that got shut down pretty early on. It didn't fit in in the grade school or the religious system that I was brought up in. I was supposed to fall into line and, and I never felt like a McDonald's fit. I don't know. I think I was, I think I was in that Indian restaurant (laughs) sampling all the spices like way too early. (laughs) So you missed out on all the toys. (laughs) I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. So I've, I've had that intuitive knowing along the way. I mean, the first, the first real hit was you've got to leave this family system. This, this is not the right place for you. Something's up. And the morning after high school graduation, I made my way out. Then I was in college and I was like, this system isn't fitting. You've got to get to New York and get some practical experience. And I had the opportunity to create an internship and it wasn't pretty at the time. They didn't encourage internships. They wanted you to stay in that trial. And they wanted the money for housing. (laughs) You couldn't deviate. They weren't encouraging this kind of stuff. But I got my way to New York as a junior. I was 19 years old, living in Greenwich Village on my own and um, had that experience. And that was also intuition. When I was harassed in the workplace and knew I couldn't go back into a system, I had to try something else. It was that little voice. You've got to try it. Just try it. Just try it. And it's, it's also worked when things haven't gone well, personally. Ooh, you're hanging out with some seedy people. Wow, did you really need that slug of wine before you asked for your raise? Something's up. And I had to face the personal issue of addiction. So it's, it's served me the whole way along if I'm willing to listen to it. One of the things that I'm finding... Um is uh, the importance of mindfulness um, way, way more important than I think it ever has been. Um, it's one of those genies in the bottle for me. Like all of a sudden it's like, it's out and I'm like, oh, and now I find that I can't go a day with, without my mindfulness um, routine, right? So my mindfulness routine kind of helps me with, with a lot of things. Um, do you find that that's important as well? for uh, risk-taking and in the things that you're working on or talk a little bit about that? So it gets me into the present moment and I can hear. Some of my clients, I can see their minds are spinning out and they're not in the moment. So they're missing the opportunities in front of them or they're so in the horrors of how am I going to make up the six-figure debt? This is never going to happen. And they're spinning so they can't get off the loop. And same with me. 
if I can't be still. And my mindfulness um, practice has changed a lot. I used to feel like I had to sit on the cushion, quiet, watching those thoughts. And I think those restrictions have also come off. And mindfulness can come in multiple ways. It can come when I'm staring at the black line at the pool, swimming the laps. It can, it can come when I'm walking on the trail, seeing the different leaves and pines, looking for the grizzly. <laughs> but but um, it's been imperative to stop that hamster wheel. And that started that started young, like you've got to be competitive to make it. And, and I think it's getting even more intense. I see my son in college, his roommate is double majoring, double minoring. He's interning and he has a full-time job. Like how he's not going to have a breakdown by the time he's 42 and collapse from workaholism. I'm not sure. But if, if they would encourage more, go within and trust that voice. I think we'd be a more productive and flourishing society. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up about like, just this hamster wheel kind of thing we have in our culture, like just the idea of like getting double majors on top of double minors and doing it in like, like, to me, it sounds like he's trying to stack his deck with everything he can get, which is how I felt when I was young. Because I felt like our culture didn't do a good job of saying, you already have skills in your deck. Learn what those are, like get to know yourself, get to know which cards you like to play and like focus on that. It was, it was like, get all the cards you can instead of like, look at what you have. (laughs) And that's been something I've been trying to work on over the years in my career is what cards do I have? Which cards do I like to play? And you know, once you have that, then you can look outwards at, at what else you want to do and acquire next. Like, I felt like that was a really eye-opening experience for me when I kind of made that shift. You know, one of the things I think also comes into play, uh, just piggybacking off of that, is this idea that, uh, you know, there's a difference between um, life and living well. And, and living well is this idea that, you know, it, it is a journey. And if I can focus in on the process and the journey, I tend to be a whole lot more happy about things versus what the accomplishments are. So we're such an accomplishment-driven society. Like, oh, I have to have a double major because. I'm like, well, don't forget about the process and all the fun we had getting that double major. Because honestly, at the end of the day, that's what you got. Like at the end, of the, that's what I'm going to take with me. Like, what what did I do and what did I accomplish? And then, what's also really important in that um, in that idea is, you know, living well is also what did I do for other people, right? Not just for myself. Like, how did I take these experiences and whatnot, and what how did I translate into making a better life for other people? That's that's one of the things that. I love about getting together with my dearest friends and and now you, Susan, um, the opportunity, the impact that we have for other people with this show, which I think is is really, really great. Um, One of the things that you also talk about is this idea of trauma and transformation. Do you spend a little bit of time on that? I would love to. So it's taken me almost a lifetime to see the traumatic experiences I've had, and there are many, as there are for most of us, um, as actual gifts 
gifts of opportunity. I mean, if I hadn't been harassed in the workplace, I would have taken the risk of starting my own business. And I would have had the opportunities that led me to a really rich and intriguing professional career. Might not have been the easier, softer way. And I think, I, I don't think that's the actual messaging that most of us get um, as far as life's challenges. And maybe next time I come in, I'll, I'll like check the contract for what I'm signing up for because this life has been really chock full and tough um, as far as assignments. Um, but to really see them as ways to evolve. And I've come a long way. I mean, entertainment is, it can be cutthroat. I don't think it's quite as cutthroat as I've seen in academia. <laughs> but, um, you know, to really come full circle and, and really want to help the next person. I had, I have a former producing partner. We met on an Animal Planet show. And we were, we were calling for guests and she used to pick up the phone and say three sentences. And if you didn't fit, she'd slam the phone down and go to the next person. And I couldn't believe it. I was inviting my guests to my wedding, you know, <laughs> and I was sharing my guests with the other producers. I'm like, oh, there's this great lady that, that, you know, breeds goldfish. She'd be awesome for you. Here's her number. Call her up. And that just wasn't done. Like she came from Mari and Geraldo and all these like really intense talk, Dr. Phil talk shows, you know, and um, I was never like that. It, she couldn't figure me out. And, and I think that, that this is the way that, that we're going when we realize like I've been so challenged with trauma I faced and found a way to transform it. I have such compassion. It's given me such compassion and a humbling and a deflation of ego and a place where my heart, like the black has been like ripped away and there's a lot more kindness in there. Um, and I want to share that with others. And I do naturally. And some of them look at me like, okay, what do you want? What do you want? But <laughs> I think it's also like an activation and, and, that woman that I worked with, the producer, she's not the same person as she was. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like that as you talk about like just having to, to change and to grow and to like, like you said, rip that ego away. Uh, you know, I've, I've led an adventurous life, uh, just ups and downs and humility and humbleness uh, have served me better than any amount of ego or machismo ever, ever did. And so I 100%, I love that sentiment. I love where you're coming from. Yeah, Dan, I also find your machismo really off-putting, so. <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. I can't help myself. <laughs> hey, you know, we're all works in progress. So, I mean, that, that's interesting. Um, you know, as we think about this and as our audience is listening in, and one of the things that pops into my head is like, okay, like, aside from, you know, the uh, just do it, right? Just go out and, and, and do those things. We, are, are there some helpful steps that maybe we could take to kind of, I hate to say it, baby step across the, the room into doing things? Or is this really a rip the bandaid kind of thing off? Like, I'm going to follow my gut. This is the right thing to do. Jump into the deep end of the pool and swim. 
Yeah, no, I think it's better if you can have that safety net first. If there's a way you can hold on to the safety net. In in certain circumstances in my life, I couldn't. I had to rip the band-aid off and I had to move ahead. You know, I might have tried to hold on to that safety net, but it it didn't work or I had it ripped away for me. Um, but I think there if I had to say baby steps, it would be get support around you, get people that you can genuinely speak with from the heart that you trust that aren't going to like take your ideas and exploit them or gossip to the, you know, the, the group that you believe. people that you really trust and your heart will find those people. And if you don't have them in your life, then, then make that a goal to find and share intimately and get support around you. It's usually only one or two. I mean, that's what it's been for me. Um, get support around you and bounce it off and see what it feels like. And if there's a way you can try and nurture initially, rather than jumping off the high dive, I recommend it. You know, a lot of our audience is uh, educators, facilitators and whatnot. Do you find that there are things that we can do uh, from a consultative perspective or from a facilitation perspective to really encourage risk uh, in others, like encouraging others to to take risks so that they come up with better ideas? And, you know, I, I can speak personally for me. One of the things that I'm always trying to do is just enter a room and go, okay, here's my idea, blow it up, make it better, right? And that that requires a whole lot of heck of humility. Um, but not everybody's like that, right? So, you know, do you find that there are some things, practical things that maybe we could focus in on to help others to, um, take more risks and, and get more out of whatever it is that we're trying to get, get in the moment? Well, for, for me, I have to build a sense of trust. Oftentimes that can be breath work in the room, breathing and getting in touch. Also hand on the heart to get in touch. So we're in our bodies first off and not projecting on how we're going to be the star in the room or come up with the most fabulous star thought of the day. So that's imperative to be in your body and breathe and build a sense of trust and then be able to be free to put something out without judgment back. I mean, there has to be that safety in the room or it's, it's not going to happen in my opinion. So those are the two strongest things right off the bat. I love that. I don't think we've had a guest on to date. And guys, correct me if I'm wrong, because I would hate to leave somebody out. But I don't remember anybody acknowledging that we are people in bodies and to take a moment and acknowledge that. I think that's really powerful. I think it's something I'm, I overlook and that this Zoom you know, society really uh, doesn't acknowledge. So Susan, I'm really glad you said that and thank you for sharing it. I think that's big. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more in this idea of creating trust and safety. Like we've had people talk about psychological safety before. Um, I, it is, man, I'm, I'm going on a journey. I'm hunting Pokemon to try to find psychological safety out in where I'm at. It is a rare thing. Right. Um, and it only takes once you get you get shut down once I am done. Right. I'm totally done because I, I don't want to open up my mouth and feel stupid. I don't want to open up my 
mouth and get berated. Um, I'm going to let, oh, I'm going to hate this. I'm going to let the narcissist talk. You guys just go ahead and figure it out and you know, let me know what you want to do and we'll do it. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be as good as if maybe I chimed in. So I feel like that's really, really important around that whole idea of trust and, and uh, that we're all kind of connected. And, and uh, yeah, you know what? It, please. Um, I had a mentor tell me once, you got to stoke the ideas, not soak them. Right. Just stoke that fire up, man. And we're going to, you know, your idea may be way the heck out there, but that idea contributes to other ideas and gets us to a better place. Yeah. And I think that that basic humanity has been trained out of us. Mm -hmm. It's either through the educational system or our religious system or, you know, yeah, it's just been trained right away. Uh, I, I agree with that sentiment. Unfortunately, I, uh, time in corporate America, just the just the world that we've built rewards uh, the first person to the podium, rewards the the loudest voice, and so oftentimes, you know, uh, when I'll be mentoring people in their careers, I'll have to say stuff like, "You just you just got to jump in, you just got to jump in, and you got to start talking." Well, I don't know what to say. You'll figure it out along the way. Like, and I know that sentiment is terrible. Like, I want to just tell people like, hey, it's okay. Just relax, chill. Your moment will come. But it won't, unfortunately, a lot of times. And that sucks because, again, just, yeah, that's the world that, unfortunately, we have built. You got to get in there and start swinging or else you'll be a wallflower forever. It's not the easier, softer way. It's it's hard. I mean, I've opened my mouth and said my truth. and. I've been extricated a bunch of times, but it's always led me to the place where I am today, where I, where I can make the most contribution and that I feel good within my being. Yep. It's better to be yourself and not fit in than to try to squeeze yourself into a shape you're not. I 100%, 100% agree. Well, as I think about all the leaders that are listening to us right now, I think it's really important to keep in mind, right? So one of the tricks I think in facilitation is to good, great facilitators are ones that understand that everybody has value and will, oh, there's Abby in the back of the room not saying anything, which would never happen. But, you know, imagine Abby's in the back of the room not saying anything. (laughs) What? I'm at least whispering something to Dan. That's it. <laughs> right? Those are the people I want to call on. And I put a little mental checklist in my head of, I got to I gotta call on Abby because she hasn't said anything yet. And I, I want to do so because it, I bet what she has to say is, is important and can add value. And at the very least, she'll feel more part of this experience that we're having together. And we'll have a better overall experience, right? And if I get shut down from Abby because she doesn't want to participate in that, that's fine, right? At least we created that environment where people can feel free. But I say almost nine times out of 10, if I didn't get the answer right away, or I don't know, nine, nine times out of 10, moments later, the hand goes up, right? And it's Abby, and she's got something to contribute because she feels valued, Right? She feels valued. She feels like she can contribute, feels like, okay, here's here's what I'm going to say. And then it's really important once that happens to validate that. 
wow, that 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 is. I'm really glad that you, not the idea. Forget about the idea that you, that you did that. You should feel really great about your contribution today because it's really going to help us out. I bet a lot of other people are thinking those things, same things too. It's the acknowledgement. I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I'm just going to bring up this this story that I have a feeling people can relate to. I mean, coming off the freeway ramp in LA and there'd be a homeless person at the end begging. And for a lot of years, I was Mizan Rand. Oh, they're social services. I can't give that. They're just going to go get drugs. And then as I started to evolve, I get to the end of the ramp and I pull out my purse and whatever came out didn't matter. If it was 20, if it was a hundred, that's what came out. And I connected, I looked into the eyes of that person who was lost and unacknowledged and they're a human being. And I, I'm an empath. I mean, I can feel the trauma. I can feel it, what they've been through. And it would, it would shift them, the, the, the joy on their face, the appreciation. And I feel like that's another thing that's lost. And I think acknowledgement is important. You mentioned, um, you know, the the upside of risk taking, as we kind of transition back into that. Talk, could you talk a little bit about the this idea of upside in in taking risks? The upside in taking risks is I'm I know who I am as an individual human being. I, I know warts and all who I am, plus and minus. If I'm stuck in that box, collect collecting that paycheck out of fear, I have no idea who I am or who I could be. And, and I understand there's all sorts of levels of this. And it, it was scary when I had a big tax bill coming through, when I had to pay for my son's something and I didn't know where it was coming from. I was like, I, I should stay in this, in this gig that really feels horrible. It feels horrible. And then I'd be like, yeah, no, I can't. I'm dying. So the upside of the risk was when I walked away, it might not have been immediate, but I always got taken care of and taken care of in ways that astounded me. So I am just on the other side of a big risk, you know? And so that, that really resonates. I, you know, I'm in my forties and I joined a startup and everybody's like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, that's that's super unsafe. That's super unsafe. You're just now hitting that spot where you need to be like thinking safety, think of family. And I was like, no, like, this is like, this is the right thing to do. I feel it in my bones. And uh, as happens with startups, you know, recently I, I got laid off. And, you know, I, most of my friends have been super supportive, but one or two have definitely been like, Man, you had like a real solid thing where you were. You you shouldn't have jumped. You shouldn't have jumped, and now and now you here you are here you are. But I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. Like that that risk that jump. Oh man! Like even now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm like never would I have made a different decision. Like this was so amazing. Yeah, my husband and I have gained some perspective over the years. We've been through a lot of job changes, and one of the things that we are better about now is. Accepting that even if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, doesn't mean it wasn't the right decision. <laughs> and yeah. that's like, it's a scary thing. It's something like you just have to like make peace with. But, um, and I think comes from time and experience, but 
yeah, I'm with you, Dan. Um, you're not going to know how things are going to work out. And um, part of, for me, part of taking risk has been accepting that the outcome might not be what I want, but should still be something positive. And that outcome is something that you can truly learn from, like expansively. If you would have stayed in that other hobbit hole, you would have been that hobbit, you know, watch until the clock hit five. Yeah, there's a risk to not jumping too. That's right. Interesting. Uh, it, it reminds me of um, a, of a movie I that I dearly love um, with Jim Carrey um, called Yes Man. Have you heard of this film? I'm sure. Yeah, where he is he is indoctrinated to saying yes to everything, uh, which turns out to be very very funny. Um, but as he internalizes that idea of okay i'm just gonna go go ahead and go for it it becomes part of who he is um and then he finds that the person that told him to do that was really just telling him to do that to sell a book because he totally changed it to, to saying no which i thought was really kind of funny um I, risk is a lot like that isn't it like hey may it maybe i should just be or feel free to to say yes to something uh and go with it and then and learn through that experience so um, my former father-in-law used to say, and I thought it was the best advice I'd ever gotten. The answer is yes, until it's no. And that advice has, has brought me so many opportunities because it's, it, my knee-jerk reaction is self-sabotage and an opportunity comes up and I'll go, <gasps> and they'll go, oh, no, 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 no. And, and I'll hear my... <laughs> My father the answer is yes, until it's no. And then it still might be yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. There's times that it's turned out like it would have been a straight no and turned into a yes. And I've shared that with others. There was a really good friend. And she had a huge job offered to her. And she was like, nah, nah, nah. And I'm like, Jude, the answer is yes, till it's no. And she took that job. She was she was running live action at DreamWorks and she loved it, loved it. And she said, you know what? I'd never be in this spot if I didn't listen to that advice. Awesome. Cool. Hey, listen, as we begin to wind things down, love the stories, love this idea um, around taking risks. Is there anything that you feel really strongly about that you haven't had the opportunity to talk to our audience about today? So maybe that, you know, that moment to, oh yeah, don't forget this kind of thing. Well, it's totally self-serving, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. So I think I've shared, I've lived through a lot of stuff and, and I finally wrote that book, you know, that book that you guys have in your being, you haven't sat down, well, I wrote it <laughs> so, and it comes out soon. Uh, it's going to be on Amazon, but it's, it's talking about taking, taking traumatic experiences and transforming it. Um, so that's what I want to mention. And, and we'll put the link down in the show notes where people mm -hmm. can go if they're interested in that book. Awesome. Well, Susan, thank you so much. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Um, I am inspired and um, thinking a little bit differently, which is what we always want to do. Um, listen, could you do us a favor? Let our audience know how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, sure. Um, they can either go to susangold.us 
and reach me there. Or you can go to Susan at SusanGoldConsulting.com. That's the business address, Susan at SusanGoldConsulting.com. And you're welcome to reach out at any point. I'd love to hear from you. That's fantastic. Yeah, we'll have all that information and more in the show notes. daniel son. Yes, Scott. Do me a favor. Could you let our audience know how they could connect with us today? Absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, hit us up at nerds at thelearningnerds.com. Email us any questions you might have. Join in on the conversation. Tell us about a time you took a big risk and how it turned out. We'd love to know. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. Our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. And lastly, for more information about us, what we do, and updates, www.thelearningnerds.com. Scott. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Could you go ahead and hit that subscribe button? Share this podcast with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. Every other week, you're going to get some really amazing things that are going to make your life better, help you do your job better, and be a better person, which is really, really awesome. If you've liked what you've heard, please leave us a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. We'd appreciate that. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Susan. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Oh.